All right, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. It says, One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You're the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. You ask. You go first. Hmm. Mm. How he knew if the, apo- the apostles that he chose were the right ones? Probably, I'd probably ask him how I could lead others unto him. How did you forgive those who hurt you so deeply? Or what really happened to the dinosaurs? Jesus ran away. He's in the clouds. With God? <laughs> well, good morning. Um, it is great to be back. My wife and I had the opportunity to take a month off, courtesy of the church, for a 20-year celebration. Uh, just a, They gave us a month off to go rest and just hang out with each other and enjoy one another. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for just a moment to David and the rest of the team that held down the fort. While we were gone, there was zero worries or concerns. It was really nice to be able to just get back and know that it was all handled and to enjoy ourselves. But it's also good to be back. And I want you to know this, that my wife and I, the first Sunday, here's confession, we didn't go to church. Sorry, we, didn't, we were driving a lot and we were wiped out. So we rested the first Sunday, but the following three Sundays, we went to church wherever we were at. Um, and every church we went to had the cool things, but I noticed the mistakes you know, that we have here at church. I noticed some of the singing wasn't on key like sometimes we have at this church. I noticed a few mistakes, you know, things like that that go on at church. And it reminded me there's no perfect churches out there. But also was reminded of how special living water is. And sometimes we can take that for granted. Uh, we're here so long and, and for a long period of time, and you can take for granted. But being away at a mega church and then a church a little larger than this one and a really small church, and all three of them had their sweet spots, but it was like, man, I love, love, love living water. I hope you know that it is a special place to be. And I'm so glad to be back and be able to share with you God's word uh, this morning. Like the video said, if you could ask Jesus a question, what would it be? Wouldn't it be cool? If you could sit down for just five minutes with Jesus, maybe 10, you need a lecture time, but five minutes with Jesus, and he says, hey, I'm here for five minutes, you got questions, ask them. Wouldn't that be cool? How many of you had questions for Jesus? I've got a few, I think we all do, if we're being honest, but one of mine as a pastor is like, Jesus, you could really clear up 
a lot of confusion in churches. There's some things that we divide ourselves on doctrinally. If you would just answer a couple of questions, maybe we could find some unity in the churches on the earth. Because we're messed up, Jesus. Could you just answer a few questions? Or maybe it'd be more personal for you. It's like, Jesus, I've really gone through a very difficult season this year, and, and, and why am I going through this? Why is life sometimes so hard? Why is it so hard to do the things that I'm supposed to do and to not do the things that I don't want to do? I think we all would probably have questions for Jesus. And here's the good news. Those questions are welcomed. I believe it's okay to bring our questions to Jesus. But what if, and the idea of this series that I want to kick off today called The Questions of Jesus, what if instead of us bringing our questions to Jesus, he said, hang on a second, you've had your questions, now let me ask you a question. What if for a moment we just listened to the questions that Jesus has for us? How I many know oh, that's a game changer? So Jesus, turns out, asks a lot of questions. In fact, in the Gospels, I think he asks over 300 questions. And so Jesus asked the questions for the next three weeks we want to focus on, just three of them, um, kind of to finish up the summer. We're getting ready to get back into the school year. I know that's bad news for the kids and the teachers. I'm sorry, but it is what it is. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the questions of Jesus. And I wanted to kick it off with what I believe is the most important question that Jesus asked his disciples and he asks us today a question that we need to know how to answer. We need to know the answer to this question. The answer, or the question, as David read a moment ago, is who do you say I am? Jesus asked a lot of questions. He used it as a form of teaching. He would ask a question and it would stir up his listeners to a response. It would wake them up. Maybe they're thinking of something else and Jesus would just ask this question and they would kind of stop and think for a moment. He would do that to stir up a response to cause them to think. His questions cause us to think if we look at them from that perspective. And ultimately, if those questions are thought on and, and we're stirred up in our responses, they can absolutely change our lives, these questions that Jesus has for us. And this question that he asked his disciples, that he asked us as well, who do you say I am, I believe is the most important question that man can ask um, in this life. In fact, your answer to that question determines more than your belief about Jesus. It reveals what you believe about yourself, your relationship to Christ, and your perspective on life. You might say it's like a key that just opens the door to life. And everybody in the room knows that it's important to have the right key if you want to unlock a locked door. Amen? So, some of you know my son and I, my oldest son and I, built a house together to sell. And so it's been on the market, and the realtors are showing it occasionally. And I've got this habit of going by after it's shown to make sure it's picked up and ready for the next showing. Um, and so what I do is I have the remote control to the garage in my truck, and I just whip into the, the, the location there, and I push the garage door, and I go in, and I grab the entry door from the garage to the house, and I just go in that way. I've done it many times. But a couple of weeks ago, I went over there, and I grabbed that doorknob, and it was locked. I thought, like, uh-oh, we got a locked door. The realtor did a really good job turning off the lights and locking the doors. He locked all of them. And so I thought, no big deal. I'll call David, and David knows the combination to the realtor box. He can just do that, give it to me. I get the key, and I lock it from there. Nope, that's not going to happen either because they have the new boxes that are electronic. You use a phone and an app that I don't have. And so I'm locked out of the house that I helped build. A little frustrated. So I go back to my truck because I don't have a lot of keys, right? And I go out, and I pull out my keys. Now, I've got keys on here. I have no clue what they go to. I might have the key to the first vehicle I ever drove. I don't know, but I got a lot of keys. And I thought, surely I 
put, because I'm the one that put the lock on the door, right? I put the key somewhere in here. And so I start going methodically, one key after the other key after the other key. Some don't even fit. They won't even start to go in. Others would go in, and I'm like, but it wouldn't turn. And the longer I went, every key, every key, I get frustrated. I'm like, ah, open the door. I want to be in there. I deserve to. I built the house. I put the lock on the door. I need to be in this house, right? No can do, no access. So I go back to my truck. I'm fumbling around. I find another set of keys. I'm like, surely it's on this one. These look new, right? I go back, and I go through the same process. I put the key in the door. Don't work. I'm frustrated, right? I'm just like, ah, inconvenience. Now I'm frustrated. I can't get in the house, and I really, really want to get in the house. So here's the reality. I think some people like that are here today, and maybe you have your opinion of who Jesus is. Maybe you've grown up thinking certain things about Jesus. You've heard other people teach about Jesus. And you're on the fence about just who is this Jesus to you. And here's what I know. Jesus taught a lot of things. And one of the things that he spoke of a lot was eternity. One day, all of us will stand before him. And it'll be like we're standing at a door. A gate, if you will, to heaven. And we're going to stand there on the outside. And our hope is that we have the right key that opens that gate at the end of life. Amen? I think everybody would say, like, I want to go to heaven when this life is over. And here's the reality. Many people will say, I deserve to be in there. I've lived a good life. I gave money to the poor. I went to church on Sunday. I sang in the choir, whatever you may say. We feel like we deserve to be there. And you remember that famous passage that Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never, I never knew you. You talk about frustration, that's an eternal frustration, amen? Or just going through life now and having these doors that we need opened up. And we have these expectations of who Jesus is. Maybe you learn it from someone else. And you're like, Jesus is supposed to make my life perfect when I trust in him. That's what they told me. I'm going to be wealthy and prosperous and never have any issues. And, and it just feels like these doors in front of you are locked. And you, you stand outside and you just don't seem to have the right keys all the time to make life work. Well, that's what I hope that we do as we learn what are the keys to life. And that we would understand what Jesus wants to teach us uh, today. And so my hope would be that we would reflect on the teachings of Jesus. That when we come to a question in scripture that Jesus asked, we would reflect on that question. Don't just read it as though he's reading it to the disciples back then, but look at it as, as today, and he's looking at you and me, and he's asking these questions. And just like his purpose was that we would think, that he'd wake us up, that we would stir up our response, and that we would be ultimately changed by his word and his question. So let's reflect Let's learn from his teachings, and let's be transformed by his word to be the people that he's called us to be um, and to be his hands and feet here on this earth. Amen? So the passage of scripture that David read a moment ago, Luke chapter 9, um, I want to look at a question that Jesus asked initially. It wasn't the question, but it was the one that was the lead up to the springboard to the real question that he wanted to ask his disciples. We'll look at Peter's answer. I mean, we'll look at Jesus' teaching that he needed them to understand and needed them to get. It was the reason he asked the question in the first place, to reveal the truth to them. And then we'll look at this implication, what it means to truly understand who Jesus is and what kind of an impact that should have on our lives. And so let's begin with the text. Let me just bring you up to speed. Jesus, this is a transitional moment in Jesus' ministry. He's been teaching all over Galilee, the Galilean ministry. He's been healing the sick raising people from the dead, right? He's been feeding people the five loaves and the two fish. There's so many things that are going on, and the crowds are following Jesus. 
They're following Jesus because what's he going to do next? They're following Jesus because he taught as someone who had authority. There were many reasons that they were following after Jesus. And then this is a pivotal moment in the ministry. From here forward, Jesus is about to start. He's about to go dark. He's about to start telling his disciples the real reason for his mission. He's like, the Son of Man's about to go get crucified, right? This is the moment that it all shifts and he begins to tell them what's coming for him, the reason he came in the first place. And so that's where we're at in the text. And so it says, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Matthew, Mark, Luke all covered this story. Uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that they were in Galilee and they went 25 to 30 miles north to Caesarea Philippi, an area that was just full of sin and paganism. But it was an area where they could get away from, for a moment, the crowds. And Jesus is there, it says, to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them this question. And remember, it's the lead-up question. Who do people say I am? So here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the disciples had their ear to the ground. His disciples were hearing what everybody was saying about Jesus when they witnessed what Jesus was doing. Jesus did a miracle. People are chattering. The disciples are hearing that. And so it's like a, what is the poll, if you will, of what do people say about the Son of Man? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And so Peter, or the they disciples, responded, some are saying John the Baptist. Well, it was wrong answer, but it's a good answer. Some are saying Elijah, and some others are saying that you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. And so there was all these different opinions on who Jesus was. What do men say about Jesus? And so the disciples just start telling what they're hearing. And it's not there only, but just one chapter earlier, we have the scene with the disciples in the boat, and Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. Even the disciples say, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Herod, um, in same chapter 9, it says, verse 7, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. And he says, I beheaded John. I mean, I killed him. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And it says, Herod kept trying to see Jesus. And so there's this question, this buzz going around town. Who do men say that I am? I think you could ask that question today and you get a lot of crazy answers. In fact, a quick search on the internet because we know everything you find on the internet is true, right? No. Uh, but, I mean, there are some things that you can learn there. And uh, I would gently say this and with, with much grace and compassion, but some cults, uh, some people who teach what I believe is heresy um, have taught that Jesus and Satan are spiritual brothers. Yeah, they believe that. Jesus and Satan are spiritual brothers. Can I just clarify that for a moment? Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, Satan was a created being who rebelled in heaven, was kicked out of heaven. They are not spiritual brothers, right? But that's what some people believe. Who do men say that the Son of Man is? Oh, he and Satan were spiritual brothers. Not true. Um, others will say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. That's a good answer, but it's not the answer, right? Not the ultimate answer. He performed many miracles, and so everybody might have a perspective on who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus is asking the disciples. Who do they say that I am? And they responded in kind. And so like John the Baptist, again, it wasn't the, the right answer, but like John the Baptist, he was calling people to repentance, just like John the Baptist was, but he's so much greater than John the Baptist. Like Elijah, he was willing to help the poor and the needy and stand up in the face of the authority and call them out and rebuke them, but he's so much greater than Elijah. 
And like the other prophets who proclaimed the word of God, Jesus also did, but he's so much greater than all the prophets. Just read the book of Hebrews. Jesus is greater. Amen? Are you with me this morning? So this is what the people are saying, but as I said a moment ago, it's the, it's the leading question to lead them to the real question, the real question that you and I need to consider this morning that Jesus is asking us as well. Then he says to them, but who do you say I am? At this moment, I'm not concerned about what the world thinks about me. At this moment, disciples, you've been with me. You've watched me do what I've done. You've heard me teach what I have taught. Who do you say I am? Now, scholars will say that Peter, when he responded on behalf of the disciples, they had solidified in their mind already that because of the miracles in Galilee, especially the feeding of the 5,000, that that's when the light bulb went off for them. And they're like, you are the Messiah, dude. You're the one that all of the Old Testament scriptures have been talking about this whole time. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Matthew says that Jesus tells Peter, well done, Peter, you answered right. And you didn't come up with this on your own, but my Father revealed it to you. So Peter's feeling good about himself for a few moments. Hey, I got it right. I answered correctly. But then notice next that Jesus said, He warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Now, why would he do that? Why would Jesus, after hearing this declaration from Peter on behalf of the disciples, you are not just a good teacher, you're not just like John the Baptist or Elijah or the other prophets, you are the Messiah, the one that we have hoped in, hoped for, been waiting on. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, or sent from God. And Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody yet. Now, why would he do that? Some have said because his time had not yet come. Um, had, had they prematurely, you know, like this is the Messiah, they might have tried to take him again by force and make him their, their king. But there's another thing at play there that I, I was looking at this morning. I thought it makes much more sense that Jesus would say, don't tell everyone yet because the story's not complete. Up to this point, Jesus has performed a lot of miracles. He's spoken a lot of truth with authority. And that's a great message to go out and tell everybody, this is the Messiah, but it's not the complete message. See, they might have been tempted to tell everybody about the love and the benevolence and the authority of Jesus, but Jesus wants us to know the reason he came in the first place was as Savior of the world, and that message was not yet revealed or complete. And so when Jesus asked them the question, who do you say I am? Hey, you're the Messiah the Son of God, and he goes, that's right, and let me tell you, as Messiah, what, what's ahead for me? And he begins to say, the Son of Man. Now, that's a title that Jesus used for himself. It comes from the book of Daniel, one of those messianic titles about the Christ. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll be raised from the dead. Up to this point, Jesus has not talked about this part of the mission. They've witnessed the miracles, they've listened to the teaching, but there was something missing, and once they nailed down, Jesus, you are the Messiah, Son of God, and he goes, great, great answer, now let me tell you the rest of the story. I'm about to die. Now, if you're following in Matthew, Matthew says, no, 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 that'll never happen to you, and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you're looking at things from merely a human point of view. Now, if you're Peter, you're a little bit hurt for a second, right? Because just a moment ago you said, hey, you answered correctly, Peter, and I tell you that your name was Rock, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, 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 get behind me, Satan. In the same text, Peter's like, what's, what's the story, Jesus? Why do you do that? 
But the reality is Jesus wanted them to know, hey, this is who I am, and this is the mission. And the complete gospel, which would not be declared like he wouldn't send out the disciples until after the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because it is the most important mission and message and the good news of the gospel that mankind need to hear, right? Sadly, today, there are people that will talk about Jesus and they, they don't want to talk, talk about repentance or the need for salvation. We want to talk about Jesus being loving, and he is, but it's not the complete message. That Jesus is going to give me the desires of my heart, and he does, and he may, but it's not the complete message. The greatest need of mankind is to be made right with God the Father. And there's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved except for Jesus Christ. Amen? And so no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, no matter good you try to be, it's like standing at the door between you and God. It's like, what gives me access to God? And we put the key in. It doesn't turn. Some don't fit. Oh, so close. No access. The only key that's going to open the door is who do you say I am? Who is Jesus? Right? Jesus, you're the Messiah, the one that was promised long ago. You are the Son of the living God. Some disciples say that before we got the doctrine of the Trinity, we find it in this statement because you have Jesus, the Son of the Father, and God the Father mentioned there, and then the word Christ means the anointed one, anointed by the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Spirit right there in that declaration. Jesus, you're the Messiah sent from God. Jesus says, don't tell anybody yet. The message is incomplete. So he teaches them what must happen with the Son of Man. He must suffer. He's going to go to the cross. Corinthians tells us that he made him who was no sin or was without sin to become sin for us so that we could be made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the good news, right? That's the great news. But it was not complete yet, so he says, wait, don't tell anyone yet. He teaches them who he is. And then after that, verse 23, it's where it kind of got personal for them. So it says that he turns to the crowd. Well, he'd left the crowds. Maybe they were close at a distance. I don't know. But he then engages the crowd again. And he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, listen, you're following me because of the miracles, the teachings, and all the cool things you've seen, maybe the food that you ate. But if anyone wants to follow after me, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what a disciple looks like. You must give up your own way. That's sacrifice. you you got to give up your own way. you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. He's going to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If, is any, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Here's the idea. Jesus asks the question, Peter answers correctly, but it's more than just the Sunday school answer or a theological answer to the question. Jesus goes one-on-one with them, and I believe he does that with us as well. Listen, I'm not asking you what the crowds are saying, but imagine for a moment you and Jesus, just you and Jesus, face-to-face, and Jesus says, listen, I've listened to your questions. Now I have a question for you. And put your name there. Who do you say I am? The idea is... That declaration of our faith should carry a little bit of weight behind it. There should be a great impact that comes with that kind of a declaration. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the one that Scripture's pointed to, right? You're the promise. 
that they've longed for for years. They rejected you, but we see it and we accept you. Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Good news, right? But the idea is it needs to go beyond just an intellectual knowledge, the Sunday school answer, doctrinal you know, definition. It, it needs to be a part of who we are. And so the idea is understanding Jesus' identity compels us to respond with genuine discipleship. It's like if he is who he said he was, then he's worthy of praise. Amen? Listen to what C.S. Lewis uh, says. I love this quote. C.S. says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something else, something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, we come to this crossroads when it comes to who do you say I am. If Jesus is asking that question, it's not just the answer like, oh, Jesus, you're the son of God. You know, you came to the earth and died on the cross for the sins of the world. But he's looking for a personal answer from each of us. Shane, who do you say I am? And I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to struggle with that answer because I know the depth of what that answer means for me. It's like if you say, Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're Lord, then I just already know the next question he's going to ask me. Shane, if I am Lord, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? See, the idea is our confession of who he is should carry over into our life and make an impact. It should change our lives. Amen? And so he goes on to say that a disciple, someone who trusts me and understands who I am and my mission is someone that's going to live a sacrificial life, one that's a selfless life. He says, anyone wants to come after me and wants to be my follower, he must give up his own way, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a call to discipleship. It's a call to commitment. It's a belief that must lead to commitment. So here's a question for you. I said earlier, the key to life and I don't want us to miss this because there's so much wrapped up in this statement. The key to life is knowing and trusting Jesus. The key to life is knowing who Jesus is. And my friends, he's so much more than just a great moral teacher. He's so much more than miracle worker. He is all those things, but he's so much more. And the most important answer to the question that we can have in our lives is when we're faced with that who do you say I am Jesus is asking you what's your answer because once we nail that down we say the key to life is knowing who Jesus is how sad it would be to get to the end of life thinking that we had the right key and maybe it slips into the lock and we get our hopes up we're thinking man it was perfect church attendance does anybody ever even do that anymore these days or maybe it's you know good works. Man, I've done a lot of good things in the community. If you weigh my bad and my good, the good's so much better. And, and so I'm banking on all those things. And one day we get to heaven. And he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What's the answer to that? My friends, I believe the key 
to life, and that is eternal life, is knowing Jesus. And here's what's going to look like for me. Shane, why should I let you into my heaven? It's not because of my works. It's not because of my Sunday school growing up. It's not because of anything that I have done. God, the only reason I feel like I have access today is the finished work of your son, Jesus. I believe Jesus is the Messiah who came to die on the cross for my sins. He who was no sin became sin for me so that I could be the righteousness of God because of his sacrifice. And Jesus, I trust you and you alone to get me through that gate to eternity. Amen? That's my answer. God, I don't trust in anyone else. I trust in you and you alone. The most important thing we could ever nail down in our lives is what do we think about, what do we say about who is Jesus to you? The key to life is knowing, and I'll take it a step further, trusting Jesus. Now, the word trust is the word believing. The word believe, the Greek word is pistevo, and it just doesn't mean just a head knowledge, but it means it goes beyond the head, and it works itself out in action. And so it's like Jesus saying, do you trust me with your life? I am who I'm telling you I am, and I'm calling you to trust in me. And for us to trust in him is like saying, all right, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just giving in to you. All, I mean, here I am. Do you remember the story about the, I don't remember his name, but the man that walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? He would show off and do that often. And one time he gets up there with a wheelbarrow, and he's on one side of the Niagara Falls, and he says, do you believe that I can go across the Niagara Falls on the wheelbarrow? And they're like, oh, yeah, of course you can do it. You've done it many times with different things. Why wouldn't you be able to do it now? Do you believe that I can do it with someone sitting in the wheelbarrow? Oh, yeah, we believe you can do it. Great. Who's going to be the first to volunteer? You see the difference between belief and belief? To believe with a head knowledge and say, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe he's the Messiah, the Son of God. But to believe, to stevo is to say, you know what, Jesus? I trust you with my life. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. I'm not trusting on anything else to get me safely to the other side. But Jesus and Jesus alone. My friends, that's the key to life, knowing Jesus, right, and trusting in Jesus. The question is, do you know him today? Do you possess that key? Do you have that confidence that one day when this life is over, you stand before him, that you'll spend eternity with him. Not everyone has that confidence. I was raised in a church where every week I didn't know whether I was going to heaven or hell. And I heard all the sermons, and I prayed all the prayers, and I experienced a lot of cool things. But when it came down to it, I was like, man, I just really don't know. And I want you to know that John said, these things have been written so that you may know that you have eternal life. I believe it in his name. He wants you to be able to nail that down in your life. And my question is, do you... Trust him. Do you possess that key today? And I'd follow that question up with this. What difference or what impact does that truth make in your life today? Are we living our lives in such a way that we could sit face to face before Jesus? And he's getting real with us and he says, hey, who do you say I am? And in that moment, say, Jesus, you're everything to me. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, sent from God, and then I have to evaluate my behavior, my actions, my attitude from that confession and say, does it line up? Does it match up? Because my friends, if that is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, it should carry a heavy weight in every one of us. Amen? So when we sing the songs about Jesus, oh, praise the one who took my debt and raise this life up from the dead. He's worthy of praise, church. 
He's worthy of honor and worship, but he's also worthy of trust. He's worthy of obedience because he is Lord. You know what that means? He's in control. And so does our lives reflect that? What difference does it make in our lives, our confession of faith, and and the the answer to the question, who do you say I am? Let me ask you this question. Is there a step that you need to take today? You're here today, you're like, man, Shane, I've been on the fence about Jesus, and I realize that that's the only key, that's the only key that's going to work at the end of life is my faith in Jesus, and you've not taken that step of faith. I want you to know that today is the day of salvation. And if you're here, you're like, Shane, i got some questions. I'd like you to pray with me. After the service is over, I would be happy to. David would be happy to meet with you and pray with you. Or maybe you're here today, you're not saying, I, I, I know and I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And I've nailed that down in my heart. But, man, if I really take an honest reflection of my life, it doesn't seem to be true by my actions. And so my question for you would be, um, is there a sin that you need to confess? But Jesus, I, I'm going to be honest that there's some things that I've allowed to just creep into my life and I need to turn away from those things and confess that sin. Here's the beautiful part. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's good news, right? So is there a sin that needs to be confessed today? Is there a step that you need to take today? You're like, man, Jesus, I've placed my trust in you, but I've not followed through with baptism. Last week, what a beautiful celebration of people who said, I I just want to demonstrate my faith in Christ by being baptized. And maybe for you today, it's that step. You're like, you know what? I need to take that step and declare my faith publicly in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And you're like, I want to be baptized. Write it on a card. Come see us after church. We would love to help you take that step. The question is, how is God leading you today? What response does he want from you today? I don't want you to miss this. Please, don't just take the text that we read often and go, oh, that was then, that was them. Make it personal. And so if you could just, with your holy imagine for a moment, say, if Jesus were sitting before me today, and he said, hey, I'm going to give you five minutes. You ask your questions, and those questions are welcome. But then he says to you, all right, now it's my turn. Let me ask you a question. And he poses that question to you and to me. Who do you, who am I to you? Define the relationship. Who am I to you? Who do you say that I am? How do we answer that question? Father, I hope that today what has been shared was clear. Knowing the significance and the importance of what you have done for us through the gospel. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miscommunicate that. I don't want to miss the opportunity to make that just as clear as I can today. And Father, if there's someone here today that has not taken that step of faith and trusted in you, Lord, they're standing on the outside of the gate, and they may be holding some keys, but they're not holding the right key. So I pray that today would be the day that they abandon all of those other keys, and they trust in you and you alone as the only way to be made right with the Father, and trusting you as Savior, as Lord. And God, that today would be the day that they just uh, begin a new journey with you and following you as a disciple. But for the rest of us uh, that might already have a a relationship with you, a faith relationship, as we just really consider our own lives and that moment where we stand face-to-face with you and you ask us without everybody else around, not worried about what everybody else thinks, but I'm talking to you now, who do you say I am? How do we answer that? Father, I have to confess that sometimes we don't live up to that confession. We live our lives as like we don't even know you. Sometimes we live our lives filled with doubt 
We live our lives as though the gospel doesn't make any difference at all. And Father, it should have a huge impact in our lives. Our perspective on this life has changed because of our knowledge of who you are. Like I said, the key to life is knowing you and trusting you. And so I pray that we would take a step towards obedience today, whatever that might be, whether it's confess sin, whether it's be restoring relationship, whether it's following through with baptism, whatever it is you're calling us to do. Holy Spirit, would you do what you do and just help us to take that step toward obedience today. Lord, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you are worthy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.